Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right too with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19 ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for ten dollars. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just ten dollars. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our Spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through four seventeen while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details. U.S. only. The Forbes interview is brought to you by WordPress.com. WordPress powers twenty seven percent of all websites, including Forbes blogs. Get 15% off your new website today at wordpress.com slash Forbes. That's wordpress.com slash Forbes. This is the Forbes interview on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do deep dive interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. These are the faces you see on the cover of Forbes. And if they aren't in the cover, they easily could be. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, we have the former head of the Sierra Club, Carl Pope, and it's a very, you know, good timing here because today is June 1st and we're waiting to find out if President Trump will pull out of the Paris Agreement on um, climate change. Uh, right now, the AP and the New York Times thinks he will, but no formal uh, no formal decision yet. But Carl, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome. It's good to be with you. Now, reading these headlines about climate change and uh the president pulling out of Paris, I would normally be nervous, but after reading the great book that you and Michael Bloomberg wrote, Climate of Hope, I'm not that worried. Is that is that um, appropriate? Well, there are many things to worry about, but the idea that Donald Trump can prevent the United States from uh, decarbonizing its economy and cleaning up its contribution to the climate problem is not one of them. The real progress that's been made in the United States over the past 10 years on climate pollution has been made by cities, by businesses, by states, by civil society. That's going to continue. One of the effects of Trump's talking about pulling out has been to energize Americans who understand that the economic future belongs to a low-carbon economy, and if the United States wants to lead the world in the 21st century and have a vibrant and dynamic economy... Uh, we're going to have to lead in clean energy, not dirty energy. Uh, it's about the future, which is, is sadly, I think the president doesn't seem to understand. His his vision of making America great seems to make America backward. <laughs> Let's go back to the old days, and the fact is that isn't going to happen. We're not actually going to have a coal-dependent economy, and we're not going to be driving horses and buggies either. And talking about Ford, one of the big thrusts of your book is, you know, yes, you know, coal was a good solution 100 years ago based on availability and cost. Um, but now, basically, you know, coal is a big focus of the book. But now coal is actually expensive, correct? And compared to solar and wind, um, it looks like this is, you know, looking to the future is clean. And clean is can save, your, save the planet, but also could save your company money. It can save your company money. It can make your city more competitive. It can help public health in your community. It can attract a more dynamic workforce. There are a whole host of advantages of innovating. This is not a new story. This is the American story. Uh, you know, Calvin Coolidge, when he became president, there were 125,000 Americans making harnesses for horses. And faced with the fact that the Model T was rapidly eliminating that industry, 
Calvin Coolidge didn't set out to stop the Model T and save harnesses. Instead, he invented airmail to make sure the United States led the commercial aviation revolution, which it did. The President of the United States should be making sure that the United States leads the clean energy revolution. And instead of that, President Trump is pretending, I don't think he really believes, but he's pretending that he can roll back the clock and take us back to the 1950s. You mentioned those 120,000 harness makers. Whatever happened to those harness makers? Those harness makers mostly ended up going to work in industries that were making parts for automobiles. So the future sometimes takes care of its own problems? Not always. And in fact, that's one of the problems we face, is that there are parts of the United States which have been very heavily dependent on coal. Many of those are regions running out of coal, so they're going to have to make a transition anyway. And we don't have good transition mechanisms right now in this country. We've allowed institutions like the Appalachian Regional Commission, which were created to help in the transition away from a a one-commodity economy into a more diversified, healthy economy. And instead of investing more in those institutions, President Trump's budget would actually slash funding for helping Appalachia make the transition away from coal. Again, Appalachia is running out of coal. And so it's going to have to make that transition, and we ought to make it as easy and as strong as possible for those communities. That's not what President Trump's budget does. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. A curious thing happened to FreshBooks on its way to becoming the largest cloud accounting software platform for small business owners in the world. As a company, they've managed to stay small while soaring to over 10 million users strong. Or is it the other way around? Has FreshBooks' customer base soared because their company has stayed small? Named as a small giant on Forbes' list of best small companies this year, FreshBooks has been recognized for focusing on greatness over growth by drastically simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and and getting paid online, and delivering award-winning customer service that usually picks up in under three rings. FreshBooks has changed how small business owners deal with their day-to-day paperwork. This is really only a fraction of what FreshBooks can do, and they want you to see more. To claim your 30-day free trial, no credit card required, just go to FreshBooks.com slash Forbes and enter Forbes interview in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Carl, how do we do that? Because, I mean, Appalachia has been having problems long before uh, Trump took office, and uh, for decades now it's been kind of slouching towards this. What things can the government do or private companies do to revitalize a an area where you know people are moving away from, have been doing it for decades, um, you know, lacking like skills, education. What, what do we do? Well, I think the first thing we should be doing is that there is billions of dollars which has been set aside both in company uh, accounts and in the federal treasury for the purpose of cleaning up the mess that is invariably left behind when you stop coal mining. And we ought to be putting coal miners to work cleaning up the coal region. We ought to be restoring drinking water quality. One of the reasons it's hard to get a business to locate in Charleston, West Virginia, is because the drinking water pipes in Charleston, West Virginia, are so bad that you can't really locate a new factory that's dependent on a reliable source of clean water. So we need to invest in the infrastructure of Appalachia, something President Trump did campaign on, but we haven't seen much action on since then. We need to invest in education in Appalachia. Uh, we need to invest in health care. And probably the biggest single thing we could do right now is to make sure that Appalachian communities are well-connected to the Internet. 
because there's a huge opportunity uh, in Appalachia. You've actually got a workforce that could could, could become quite skilled uh, in taking care of a lot of activities that are dependent on Internet connectivity. Appalachia is actually becoming a major center of uh, server farms hmm. because server farms like cool weather, and that's something Appalachia offers, and server farms like cheap electricity, and that's something Appalachia offers. Uh, so there are opportunities, but it requires some leadership both in the state capitals and in Washington to help invest in the infrastructure that will enable Appalachia to attract uh, new employment. Mm. We did it We did it in the Tennessee Valley in the 1930s. We can do it in the 21st century in Appalachia. And talking about regions, one of the big themes of, of your book is that this change in America and change in the world with, with climate and environmental big impact, it's not going to come from presidents and Congresses and the U.N. It's coming from the bottom up, and it's local mayors and local business leaders um, and, you know, the general market, the market in general. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I found that really in- intriguing. I think our readers would love to hear um, how it's the mayors of towns, not the presidents of countries, that are going to win this fight. So, this is also an old American story. Uh, the, the first experiments in electrification in the United States didn't come from the top, they came from cities. The first experiments in operating really comprehensive uh, transit systems uh, came, from, came from cities. It was the states that pioneered many of the early banking regulations that protected consumers. So we have a long tradition in this country of letting cities and states innovate, and once an innovation proves itself, then Washington adopts it. Washington has never been a leader in American history. It's always been a supportive force. Uh, and we see the same thing happening in climate. The reason that we have such cheap wind and solar power in the United States right now is partly because the federal government supported research, but it's primarily because cities and states created the market for wind and solar, and by creating a market that drove the price down. And we expect to see much more of that happening. We already have uh, more than 30 American cities that have announced that they are going to be 100% dependent on renewable power. We also have dozens and dozens of Fortune 500 companies that have made the same commitment, including, you know, a surprising one like Anheuser-Busch, the nation's biggest beer company, is going all renewable power. Well, why? Why is Anheuser-Busch doing that? I really don't think it's because when people buy the beer, they think about the electricity that makes it. But Anheuser-Busch knows that they need to attract the best employees into the workforce, and younger employees are saying, wait a minute, I don't want to work for a company that's actually threatening the planet. I want to work for a company that's innovating. So we see lots of forces that can play their way out for a company or a city, but when they get to Washington, they get into that partisan meat grinder where, my Lord, the idea that we ought to have roads and bridges that don't have holes in them has become a partisan issue. That's just absurd. I mean, Washington is badly broken. Fortunately, we don't need to fix Washington to fix the climate. It would be nice to fix Washington, though. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Here at the Forbes interview, we know that creating great things sometimes comes down to having the right support system. That's why we're excited to have WordPress.com as a sponsor. They've been supporting us behind the scenes for a while, including Forbes blogs. We use WordPress.com every day. 
Even if you don't have experience building a website, WordPress can guide you through the process. They have hundreds of themes to get you started. Just pick a template and make it your own. You'll get built-in search engine optimization and social sharing. When you build your website on WordPress.com, you're part of a community we support 24-7 when you need it. Come see why 27% of all websites run on WordPress and why more websites run on WordPress than on any other platform. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to WordPress.com slash Forbes to create your website and find the membership plan that's right for you. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes for 15% off a brand new website. WordPress.com slash Forbes. What, what towns and cities are doing, are, are you point to as leaders and maybe some of that are surprising in terms of this, um, you know, sustainability and really making this... The first city in the United States to commit to 100% renewable power was Georgetown, Texas. And the mayor of Georgetown, Texas, went to great lengths to emphasize the fact that he wasn't doing this for environmental reasons, he was doing this to save money. I think the most surprising announcement in this area recently came from the Museum of Coal Mining, which is in eastern Kentucky, which announced that it was going to shift its electricity supply from coal power to solar power because that was going to save money and enable them to keep the museum open more hours. So we now have the Coal Museum saying coal is no longer competitive with solar. That is interesting optics on, on their part. I was quite surprised that they not only did it, they put out a press release about it. That's wild. And in terms of what, in, in big cities, like what can I mean, you, you guys touch on some great things? In Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, which is the largest city in the most Republican state in the nation. And Salt Lake City is going 100% renewable. Salt Lake City is also, interestingly, the city in the, the big city in the United States that had the most rapidly growing reliance on mass transit. Hmm. Because people in Salt Lake City realized they couldn't highway their way out of congestion. They had to transit their way out of congestion. And in doing so, of course, they saved a ton of money in terms of delays on the roads. They saved a lot of pollution from gasoline burning, and they helped the climate. When a big city like Salt Lake goes 100% renewable, how are they doing it? What's, what are the mechanisms? What can other cities learn? The laws vary from state to state. Uh, a city like Los Angeles owns its own power system, so it's much easier for Los Angeles to do it. They just stop burning coal and start erecting wind and solar. Uh, Salt Lake City is probably going to have to sign contracts with wind farm uh, providers and solar panel producers uh, and sign contracts to get its own electricity uh, directly rather than using one of the local, util- local utilities. On the other hand, if, if, uh, if the city of New Mexico wants to do that, the monopoly utility in New Mexico, uh, Public Service of New Mexico, will agree to deliver all renewable power to a particular customer. So they have a different way of doing it. So it depends on what state you're in, what pathways are open to a city. Hmm. Carl, I want to take a step back. I, love, I want to hear a little bit about your story and kind of your your um, evolution um, as head of the Sierra Club and how your the different battles you've been fighting throughout the decades because you've been at this a long time. Um, take me a little bit to the beginning here. Well, I spent most of my lifetime uh, working as an environmental advocate, started out working on clean air. And for almost all of those years, uh, I was in the position of saying to the people I was trying to persuade, whether they were legislators or businesses, look, what we're asking you to do is going to cost you money next year. It's going to cost you money the year after that. But down the road, we're all going to be better off, and you ought to do it to be good citizens. But most of the time I was working in this field, my message to people was, yes, 
this is going to be expensive, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Then about 2005, I began as I was working on clean energy and, and the climate problem. And I began to go around the country. I found that when I would go to meetings, there were the people who had always been there who were there for environmental reasons, but there were also a bunch of people in suits. And they were there to make money. Hmm. And I suddenly realized that the stories had changed. I'd realized that, in fact, instead of cleaning up the 20th century economy, environmentalism was now about creating a 21st century economy, and economic development and environmental protection were now the same story, rather than being uh, different ends of the seesaw, where one would be up and the other would be down. So I realized that I was now in the economic development business, uh, business, to be honest, I didn't know very much about. Hmm. And how did you get smart on the, on the topics? Well, I started working on things, and you would start out, you know, I started out with the theory that most people had that the reason we were so reliant on fossil fuels was that fossil fuels were cheaper. Mm-hmm. And then I kept running in, in the places where fossil fuels were cheaper, and we were still using them. And I said, wait a minute, there's something else going on here. And I began to ask people questions and explore and figure out what the barriers were. And I realized that in many cases, the reason we can't replace fossil fuels with something cleaner is fossil fuels have a monopoly. You know, you actually feel legal in the state of Florida to put a solar panel on your roof. It's actually illegal. It's illegal. Yeah. And because lobbyists put that, got that, in, got that through the... The, the utilities system. have made it illegal for anybody who's not a public utility to generate electricity even on their own property. And do they claim that as a safety issue or just they, just, they flat out do it? Well, they, they probably claim it as a safety issue, but fundamentally they flat out do it since all over the country people are doing it quite safely, including next door in Georgia and... I will give credit. I want to give credit to the Southern Company, uh, which is next door. The Southern Company is not fighting the rooftop solar revolution. The, so- the Southern Company is saying we want to own the rooftop solar revolution. Hmm. We want our customers to put solar panels on their roofs. We want to be the ones who help them do it. We don't want some competitor doing it. So you have enlightened utilities and less enlightened utilities. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. FreshBooks is a ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software for small business owners that saves you time and gets you paid faster. Now used by over 10 million people worldwide. For your 30-day free trial, go to FreshBooks.com Forbes and enter Forbes Interview in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And you mentioned you, know, you spent a lot of your career fighting for clean air. And one of the things in the book that really jumped out to me was just the amount of sickness and death each year that air pollution causes worldwide. Tell me about that. Well, globally, depending on who does the counting, air pollution is either the fifth or the seventh largest cause of death in the world. Bigger than malaria. Bigger than tuberculosis. And how does it kill? Bigger than AIDS. How does it kill? Most of the deaths from air pollution are from lung disease. uh, Because obviously that's where the air goes. When you breathe it, it goes into your lungs. And whatever is in the air, uh, your lungs are very sticky, uh, which is how they absorb... uh, how they absorb the oxygen, but they're not so sticky for oxygen. They're sticky for whatever's in the air. So if you breathe air that's got mercury in it, that mercury sticks to your lungs and goes into your blood. If you breathe air that has little fine particles in it, those fine particles go into your lungs and they clog your lungs, and eventually your lungs don't work very well, and you get asthma, you get emphysema, uh, you get lung cancer, uh, and these are enormous killers all over the world, and you can actually tell that because when... Pollution levels rise in the city. Uh, the death toll in the hospitals from lung disease rises along with the pollution. And is this happening in America? Is this mostly happening in developing world? Is this a, a global crisis? Well, it is a global crisis. Uh, it's a global crisis that was 
first encountered in America and Europe, and then we've done a substantial amount uh, to clean it up. But even five years ago, when the U.S. had 500 coal power, power plants, uh, we were killing about 12,000 people a year from those power plants alone. Now we've cut the number of power plants in half burning coal, and we've cut the death toll about in half. But in uh, in a place like Turkey, for example, a place, I'm sorry, a place like Indonesia, mm-hmm. every new coal power plant that's built will kill 26,000 people over its lifetime, its operating period. So this is an enormous problem in the emerging world where they're rapidly electrifying, and where until a few years ago coal looked like a cheap solution. Coal no longer looks like a cheap solution. Coal is an expensive solution. It's an expensive solution that kills, but many of these countries still aren't set up to meet their electricity needs with wind and solar, which would be cheaper and cleaner. We need to help them get ready. And I was shocked, too, by the numbers you guys shared about how many people get sick from um, from cooking. From just you know, we, it seems weird in America, obviously, because we're spoiled as a globally. As a, but you know, because we have gas. That, that, that is that is not a problem in the United States. We have no. relatively few Americans cooking their daily meals on wood or uh, charcoal. Uh, but in Africa and South Asia and parts of Latin America, uh, there are about two and a half billion people who are still trying to. Meet their cook their daily bread uh, on a stove that is just burning wood or charcoal or cow dung, and globally about a million and a half women, mainly women, a million and a half people a year die from the indoor air pollution hmm. from those stoves. And that's a simple matter of development. We have clean cooking fuels. You and I use clean cooking fuels. People in Europe use clean cooking fuels. People in Russia use hmm. clean cooking fuels. People in India are still way too often reliant on burning wood or burning coal. And that causes cancers and, and emphysemas and disease? Oh, yes, and, and, and most of them do so in very small, poorly ventilated kitchens, so the concentrations get really enormous very quickly. How was it like, how did you and, and Mayor, well, I still call him Mayor Mike, how did you and, and Michael Bloomberg, who is, you meant, he's, he mentions himself in the book, a unapologetic capitalist, one of the wealthiest, successful business people in the world. How did you guys come together and decide on this project? I want to hear how this, this, this baby was born. Well, our partnership originated when Mike was mayor of New York and decided he wanted to uh, implement congestion pricing in lower Manhattan as a way of financing improvements in mass transit, which New York City badly needed. Uh, the Sierra Club and I thought that was a terrific idea, and we got engaged with helping him to try to get that through the state legislature in Albany, which we didn't succeed in doing uh, because the typical corruption of Albany got in the way of a very sensible solution for New York's transit finance problems. But we liked working together. And a few years later, when the Sierra Club decided to not only stop the construction of new coal plants, which we had been doing for a few years, but to actually try to retire the existing ones, Mm -hmm. and we saw how many lives how much public health benefit there would be. We knew about Mike's big emphasis on public health and saving lives, so we went to Bloomberg Philanthropy and asked them if they would be interested in supporting our effort, and they wrote a very generous check. They gave us $50 million that really launched the project and resulted in, uh, so far, we've retired half of the coal plant. I then, about a couple years later, stepped down as executive director of the Sierra Club, and uh, began consulting for a number of organizations, including Bloomberg Philanthropy, when Mike was appointed U.N. Special Envoy for Climate. Mm -hmm. And I was working with him on that, and then uh, his chief of staff, Kevin Sheehy, said, you know something? 
nobody would believe that you guys mostly agree about climate. You should write a book together because that will surprise people that there are climate solutions that both Karl Pope and Michael Bloomberg uh, embrace. And we were off to the races. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. Have you heard all of the above with Norman Lear? So far, Norman's had conversations with Amy Poehler, Gerard Carmichael, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Charles Barkley, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, Stephen Tobolowsky, Martin Sheen, and last week it was Kevin Bacon. When they say action, I, I don't want to feel like it's it's Kevin. I want to feel like it's, you know, in this case, Dick. And don't forget to check out this week's episode with America Ferrara. When I speak out and speak politically, I don't think of myself as speaking as an artist. I think of myself as speaking as, as a person, person, as a citizen, as a woman. All of the above with Norman Lear. New episodes every Monday on the podcast. Podcast One app or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree. Rethink payments. Learn more at BraintreePayments.com slash Forbes. The way the book works, if people haven't read it yet, is you kind of alternate chapters here and there, trade back and forth. How did you decide who's covering what and how was the book actually written? Because you guys are different coasts. The end book was actually written separately. That is, well, there's an opening. The opening and the closing were written by both of us. And mm-hmm. then there are 12 chapters in between, which we wrote six of. And we sort of wrote a broad outline of the topics we needed to cover. And in some cases, we would divide one topic. For example, the transportation, which is a big section. Half of transportation is about cities, and half of it is about vehicles. Mike mm-hmm. did the cities portion, because that's where he has enormously deep expertise, and I did the section on vehicles because I've been lobbying on vehicle pollution for 40 years. Uh, so we, we just looked to see which one of us had the greatest expertise, and it it was sort of obvious. Uh, you know, for example, I did the chapter on the science of climate, and he did the chapter of the risks on climate, mm-hmm. because he'd been a mayor and had first-hand experience of having Hurricane Sandy sweep through his city. I didn't have that experience, but I knew more about the science. Do you, uh, speaking of vehicles, do you own a car? I do own a car. What do, what do you drive? Uh, I drive a BMW i3 electric. No, nah, there you go. Um, were you a Prius guy before that? Uh, yes. Very good. See, I'm on brand. Um, and how, are there any things that you and, and, and Bloomberg disagree on that's uh, relatively large when it comes to, comes to climate? Well, Mike, in my opinion, uh, Mike is relatively more optimistic than I am that the nuclear power industry can eventually figure out how to make affordable nuclear power plants. I'm very skeptical of the nuclear power industry uh, and their deep history as a cost-plus government-subsidized industry. I don't think they can break those habits, so I don't really think we're going to have a major nuclear revival as part of the climate solution. Mike is more hopeful than I am mm-hmm. on that front. And Mike also probably thinks that uh, we'll be using a lot of natural gas for longer than I do. I think we'll be using natural gas for a while. He probably thinks natural gas has a longer future than I do. I Those are probably the two biggest things we disagreed about. What is your, um, you know, put on your fortune teller cap for a minute. If if everything is done right, or, I mean, obviously that's not going to happen, but 
you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, where are American cities getting most of their power? And how is this, how does that, what does it look like? Show me like the grid in 20 years down the line. Okay. Uh, well, let's look at this. this there are four big sources of climate pollution, and I'll run down them quickly. Electricity in 20 years will all be from renewable. Will be entirely renewable in cities in 20 years. Uh, that's solar, largely solar. Solar wind, geothermal, and hydro. Uh, in 20 years, which is 2035, uh, I think probably half of the vehicles being sold will be electric, and maybe more. Uh, in 20 years, when you buy, if you buy a new apartment or if you rent a new office building, it will come without a utility bill. It will generate all of the little bit of electricity that it needs on its own rooftop, mm-hmm. and you won't be paying a utility bill. The big mystery is what happens to things like steel mills and cement kills, the industrial uses and, and you know, plastic factories mm-hmm. and refineries. Uh, it's not as clear yet how we're going to decarbonize the industrial sector, and that's where we may actually have to have carbon capture and sequestration and capture the carbon dioxide because when you make cement, you actually, at the moment, unavoidably create CO2 emissions. That's something you can't do anything about. If the private citizens, so to speak, are getting everything renewables and it's only big industry that is still using carbon, is that is that cool? Is that okay? Like, Can we maintain what we have just by making that change, or do we need those cement plants and the steel companies to also go, you know, all green? Uh, well, it would, be, it would be good if we... I mean, I don't think we make them go all green, but one of the things we can definitely do is we can uh, make sure that most of the steel we use is recycled, because we won't need to be using more and more steel every year once, you know, that that's not what we need. We need to recycle more of it. You can recycle steel without creating CO2 pollution. Mm -hmm. In the case of cement, uh, we're going to need a lot of concrete, but there are new ways of making concrete. Concrete is a mixture of cement and fly ash and sand and gravel. And there are new ways of making cement where you can make a concrete, where you use much less cement for every ton of concrete. So we can greatly reduce the amount of cement that we need to do to build a building or build a road. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to need to do some pretty radical efficiency things uh, simply for economic reasons. And as we do them for economic reasons, uh, it turns out, lo and behold, we save the climate. Hmm. Efficiency is good for the bottom line, and efficiency is very good for the air. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I found the best way for you to buy travel. It's Upside.com. Here's why I love them and why everyone I tell about them loves them. At Upside, you save money on travel and you get a free Amazon gift card worth $100, $200, even $300 every time. You get savings and a big gift card free. How is this possible? Here's how they do it. Upside bundles. Your flights and hotel together for one low price. Bundling is the thing that saves a lot of money, especially on business travel. So they give you an Amazon gift card. Your company saves money and you still keep all your miles. And right now, when you use the code Forbes, you're guaranteed a free $200 Amazon gift card your first time. The code Forbes gets you a guaranteed $200 Amazon gift card. How can you not do it? Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card every time. Upside.com. That's Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. And what can one of the, the problems with climate change is, you know, when it's everyone's problem, it's no one's problem. And as citizens, 
you know, it's it's one thing if you're, you know, riding a bike to work or using a car less, but then if you have, you know, down the a few miles on the street a uh, a big cement factory or a coal plant just that just erases anything you do for 100 years. They they pollute more in one in one, you know, hour than you would in a lifetime. What can like a normal citizen do to really have have some effect on, on this problem? Well, each one of us has a different set of opportunities because each one of us has a different role in life. Uh, I like to tell students when they say, what can I do? I say the most important thing you can do is when you start going out for job interviews, ask tough questions of the company about what their policies are on climate pollution and sustainability. Because if businesses, as I mentioned, Anheuser-Busch, I'm pretty convinced that Anheuser-Busch has become so green because their employees want them to. And if businesses understand that it's the firms that lead on climate that are going to get the best job applicants, firms will lead on climate. If you have uh, kids in a school system, and the school system has old, leaky, inefficient buildings, that's bad for learning. Mm -hmm. It's bad for the budget of the school district. In many cases, the utility bill is the second biggest line item in a school system. And that's money that could be used to pay teachers. So pressure your school system to upgrade its buildings and get rid of the leaks and get rid of the inefficiencies. Uh, if you live uh, in a community where your city is considering whether to go 100% renewable, get all your neighbors to write the city council and mm-hmm. say, let's go for it. We'd like to be able to get clean power. After all, it always turns out to be cheaper, and it does. Every single American city that's gone green has cut its utility rates. We're in New Jersey. Who knows? Well, I should tell you, New Jersey is a state that was a leader. Yeah. Uh, Solar and is now falling behind. So New Jerseyans, you've got an election coming up. People in New Jersey should be asking the candidates for governor, what are you going to put New Jersey back on the top of the clean energy revolution? So it sounds like for an individual, yes, it's great to you know do actions, you know whether it's your home or your car or lifestyle to reduce impact, but it sounds like our voices and our influence are the biggest tools right now to, to fight this. Well, it's, yes, it is, but I want to underscore it's not primarily as a consumer that you can make a difference, because you're, nobody's just a consumer. You're a consumer, you're an employee, you're a voter, you're a neighbor, uh, you're a parent. All of those social roles, all those things you do with other people give you the opportunity to accelerate American leadership uh, for energy that's going to be cleaner, it's going to be cheaper, and it's going to be safer. And those are three things to like, even if you don't think the climate problem is a big problem. The other three reasons for going green are pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back to the kind of the global stage. So assuming if, you know, if Trump pulls out of Paris today, what does that change? In, how, what, what does that change? How does that change your mission? How does that change the, the movement? Or is it kind of going to be business as usual? Because as you said, we said before, these you know, overarching accords, and, you know, the Paris thing wasn't even, you set their own limits, it wasn't enforceable. Like, does it really matter? Is this more of just kind of, of, of noise than actual substance? It matters in two ways. First, it matters, it could fool the rest of the world. It could fool the rest of the world into thinking that the United States is not going to keep its word and do its part. That's not true. Yeah. We're going to meet the Paris commitments. We're already halfway there. Two years after Barack Obama made the pledge, we've already accomplished half of it. So this is not actually going to be a back-breaking challenge for the United States. It's just a challenge Donald Trump doesn't want to admit we can make. Mm -hmm. But he's pulling out for no good reason at all. This agreement is clearly the best deal the United States ever made. 
every single thing we promised to do was something we wanted to do anyway. And it is just absurd to walk away from a treaty we negotiated to meet our needs and our specifications, and that now the rest of the world loves, and China and India are way, way ahead of their promises because they realize what Paris was about was the economic future and that what matters is tomorrow. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. Having an up-to-date payment system is one of those things, like a rattle in your engine, that you might let slide to the bottom of the to-do list. Everything's working now, so you'll get to it when you get to it, but that's not necessarily a practical strategy. Leave it too long, and you could be stranded on the side of the highway. And when we're talking about getting paid, you don't want to get stranded. It might not be a bad time to check in with Braintree and keep your business humming. Braintree, rethink payments. Find out more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. Are you worried that, I mean, besides, you know, maybe America looking looking foolish on the international stage, are you worried that, you know, a, a country like America that the rest of the world looks to in many ways, um, if we're out, other countries are going to get out too and kind of give up that, that their goals to, to, their goals to reach the goals? I don't worry about the Chinas and Indias because they've already realized where their self-interest lies and they're just going to race pell-mell ahead, whatever we do. I think if you look at some of the smaller countries, the countries that are less developed in places like Africa, you could see people say, oh, this is, the United, without help from the United States, we can't do it because we can't figure out how to do it. We don't have the internal capacity. So I do worry about the impact on some of the less developed countries and their ambitions. Uh, the other thing, though, that has to happen is we're going to do it, and we need to figure out a way to demonstrate to the world that we're going to do it, which is why one of the things that Mike Bloomberg is going to do is to create a mechanism. Uh, when, when President Obama went to Paris, he took a plan, and the plan showed how the United States was going to cut its emissions by 26%, in general terms, not in great detail. Mm-hmm. That plan is now going to be taken off the table by Donald Trump, and we are going to pull together cities and states and private businesses to assemble a new plan to replace that one, but a plan that will achieve at least 26% emission reduction. So mm-hmm. we're going to develop what we, what we might call America's Pledge, which is this is what America's going to do, even if the federal government has very little to do with it. And to meet these goals and going forward, are you looking towards any big technolog- uh, technological leaps um, in terms of sustainable energy, or what we have right now is good enough and it will just eventually get more efficient, uh, cheaper, and more widespread? Are there some kind of really interesting things happening? Are there moonshots that you're lo- looking towards that might surprise um, you know, most people? Well, what people? we have now is going to get us through 2025. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need some breakthroughs. And the two places, the three places where I think the breakthroughs are most likely and most needed are first, energy storage. We need to be able to store energy to really rely 100% on renewables. So much better batteries and other technologies to store energy. Okay. Second, energy transmission. Uh, in a lot of cases, the best wind and the best sunshine isn't near where people live. So we need to be able to transmit that electricity long distance, and that's an area where the Chinese are exercising enormous leadership. And the third thing that I think we're going to see is if we get good energy storage, then we're going to be able to electrify transportation. So we're going to really electrify almost everything. The 21st century, uh, the 20th century was, 
you know, about a third of our energy came in the form of electricity and two-thirds came in the form of direct combustion. Mm -hmm. In the 21st century, it's going to be all the electricity, I think. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Upside, the smart new way to buy travel is Upside.com. You save money and get a free Amazon gift card every trip you buy. Use the code FORBES and you're guaranteed a free $200 Amazon gift card your first time using Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card. Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. And these these things we need, the, the energy storage, the energy transfer, are these going to be solved by states? Is it solved by private companies? Is it solved by utilities? Like who is in the driver's seat to make these things happen? Well, the research, the basic research, will be done by national governments. And if it's not done by the United States, it will be done by China and India and Europe, and we will fall behind. So mm-hmm. that is a risk to our economy. Uh, where they get deployed is by cities and states. For example, 30 American cities two months ago announced the largest purchase order for electric vehicles in the world's history. They announced they were collectively going to buy 114,000 municipal electric vehicles. And that's going to be a big boost to the uh, electric vehicle market, and it's going to drive down the prices of electrical vehicles. So that, that research mostly comes from national governments, and if it doesn't come from ours, It'll come from our competitors, but the deployment is something that companies can do, cities can do, and states can do. Are these buses? Um, who makes these electric buses? General Motors makes buses, and if General Motors is smart, it's going to on these electric buses. They're not all buses. They're buses. Uh, municipalities actually use a lot of just sedans to move yeah. people around, so that'll be some of it. Some of it's garbage trucks mm-hmm. uh, and delivery vehicles. Uh, but the key thing is we, we still have the leadership in this technology but Donald Trump is doing everything he possibly can by cutting the budgets for research to sacrifice our leadership. This is not how we make America great. What is your opinion on self-driving cars and that whole movement? Well, uh, A, I think it's going to happen. B, I think it needs to happen in a way that we actually take advantage of it to electrify our transportation system and the, you know, learn to share vehicles. Right now, you know, a car is the second most expensive thing that most Americans ever buy. And a car is used about 5% of the time. Mm. Uh, we would never buy a second home. I mean, most of us would not spend money buying a second home and live in it only 5% of the time. So we're being very wasteful by having cars that just sit around. In most American cities, more space is devoted to sleeping cars than to sleeping people. We have more parking lots than we have bedrooms in most American cities. And we have the opportunity to enormously improve the quality of our life uh, by moving to a world in which, you know, nobody, if you live in a multi-story building, you don't have your, you don't mostly have your own elevator. You share the elevator. You use it when you need it. And transportation is going to become more like that. It's going to become electrified, mm-hmm. and it's going to become, uh, we're not going to need a driver uh, unless we want to, you know, take a recreational, there'll probably be recreational vehicles always, because some people like to drive. It's like horses today. Uh, if you're wealthy, right, you like ride horses a horse. Today, and there, there, may, there may be more of them than there are horses, because more people may like to drive, and cars are easier to take care of than horses. Horses I used to take care of, they're pretty demanding. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're going to have a very different transportation world uh, in which the idea of spending two hours of your time totally devoted to watching 
the car ahead of you is not moving, that's going to go away. <laughs> I hope you're right on that one. So you see it, and I agree. Like, is going to transportation is going to be like Spotify in the sense that we'll be streaming our transportation. Like, you you have a subscription to a service that gives you a car when you need it, and gives you the kind of car you need. Yeah. If you want a small car because it's just you, and if you want to go out to a party with six people, you'll get a car that's fun to have a party. And then uh, the wealthy will have their uh, their luxury their luxury subscriptions. Well, but actually, what you're going to find is that even you know on on a big date. The not-so-wealthy will get a really fancy thing because yeah. you only need it for one night. You'll be able to afford it. Get a democratized transportation. Is there any any other um, things along the lines of self-driving cars that you see um, is going to be a big impact um, in, in, the, in the coming years in how people live and work and just you know get around? Well, I think once you get self-driving cars and you don't need parking spaces, you end up with more American cities that look and feel like European cities mm-hmm. where people walk a lot more because you don't have to compete with all these noisy, polluting cars when you're walking around, so it's more fun to walk. So I actually think we end up with a much higher quality of life and cities that are probably more leisurely. I suspect that once you don't have frenzied transportation, you may the pace of life might even slow down a little bit. I think in the book, you and Bloomberg talk about how cities are actually, you know, while they seem big and congested and are big polluters in general, they're actually, people moving to cities is a great way to cut down on environmental impact. I mean, do you see this continual urbanization happening, people leaving the suburbs, leaving the countryside and coming into megacities? People will leave the inner suburbs. I mean, you've got a lot of not very high-quality inner suburbs where people were pushed out because they couldn't afford rent in the cities because the cities didn't have enough space. And when you free up all that parking space and you start adding more housing units, the people who are in the inner suburbs will be able to move into the cities. People who really live in the countryside may continue to live in the countryside. Mm -hmm. But I think the inner suburbs in particular become a less important part of the landscape. And we're going to have a challenge figuring out how to help those communities through the transition they're going to face as their population moves back into the central business district. What's an inner suburb in in cities that people might know? What, what, What areas? Well, okay, if you look at Silver Spring, Maryland, that's outside Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Most of the homes in Silver Spring, Maryland, don't have big yards. They have yards. They have little yards. People don't have really fancy houses. They have quite ordinary houses. And most of the people who live in Silver Spring work in Washington, D.C. And if you live in Silver Spring and work in Washington, D.C., and you spend half an hour getting there, you'd rather have that hour a day if you could afford to live in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Or here in San Francisco, people who live in Oakland but work in San Francisco. Uh, if San Francisco built up its housing stock, more people would move here. And if we had less traffic congestion, we could have higher density of units because each unit wouldn't come with a car. Yeah, sounds like you're talking about a, a big circle that goes around uh, New York City for sure. Yep. Well, this is a great call. I really, I really appreciate your time on this. Um, is there anything else you want to discuss, any other kind of pressing things? You know, we wrote Climate of Hope as a cookbook. We wrote it so that whatever you do in life, You'd read it and you'd find something you had influence over that would make your life better and also help the climate. That's our message. If you had like a magic wand that could make one one change right now on how humans do things, what would be that one thing you you would fix or or get rid of or add? Uh, I think the one thing that if I could just wave a wand is I get people to feel as proud of how efficient they are as of how wasteful they are. I think that's a perfect place to end it. Carl Pope, thank you for joining us. 
Thanks very much. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of The Forbes Interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. If you'd like to reach us, email us at interview at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening.
Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.